Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across the UK. This month in Hackney, we hosted an event with the mental health charity Mind Haringey, where the theme of the night was Multicultural Minds. We thought we'd share three stories from the night with you now. The first is by Njambi. Hello. Hi. Um... Uh, I must start off by saying that I am from Africa, uh, and I know that's not an issue, hopefully. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I feel it's very important for me to tell you this story, because uh, I've always asked myself, where does insanity begin, and where does sanity end? And I've often asked myself this just because of my experiences with my father. I remember the first time that my father completely fucked up my life was when my mother came down one day. My father was there in his gray suit, shiny black shoes, ready to go to work. And my mother says, where were you last night? Were you with that whore? Which was my mother's way of saying good morning. (laughs) Most men confronted with this question would either ignore it or go to work, or do something, but my father took an axe and chased my mother down the road. And all I can think of was he's wearing the wrong footwear. (laughs) The next time that I remember, I was in class, I was in primary school, I was in Kenya, and there was a knock at the door, and the teacher went to the door, and her look on her face told us there was something unexpected, something unpleasant. So she talked to the person at the door, She walked over to me and she said, would you like to go outside? I walked outside and my mother was standing outside the classroom. She was beaten black and blue. She had a swollen eye, split lip, everything. My father had eventually found her and beat the shit out of her. And I said to my mother, do not ever go back home again. Because even as a child, I knew her life was important to me. And she never went back home again. So she left me and my siblings with my father, and my people say that the things that people say when drunk is often a reflection of their own true feelings, which would be true, except my father was teetotal. He said everything sober. And some of the things that he said, I've only just begun to digest them now. He said to my brothers, my two very young brothers, he said to them, at least your sisters can go out and sell their bodies 
what you'd have to do is cut off your dicks and go and sell your bodies. And I was thinking they didn't need to. Some people pay good money for that. <laughs> but when I was 13, I did something I don't remember what. It made my father very angry. The last I remember was him picking up a stool. And I remember waking up several hours later, he hit me on my head. I woke up covered in blood. And that was the day I decided to run away from home. I took my suitcase. I was living in a farm in Africa. And I walked through the night. The thing about walking at night in Africa is that there's no street lights. And that is when all the animals and robbers go out. So I was, I don't know how long I walked for, 13 years old. I wasn't even scared. Normally I'm a scaredy cat. I wasn't scared. A car came and stood behind me, stopped behind me. I uh, again wasn't scared. Two men came out. They asked me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to boarding school. Obviously they could see it was a lie. I was in a pink nightie covered in blood. They said, where is your boarding school? They drove me all the way to where my mother lived. When my mother saw me, she said, you will never go back to his house again. That was the last time I saw my father. And for about 20 odd years, I didn't see him again. And then my brother did the most selfish thing anyone could do. He decided to get married and invite my father. I knew it was going to be a very awkward wedding. I didn't want to ruin my brother's wedding. I decided that I was going to invite my father to a place where I could sit down and talk and finally get over what has haunted me all my life. So uh, I knew my father was, uh, was uh, very classy. He liked to eat in fine restaurants. And I booked a very nice restaurant in Nairobi. I invited my father. I said, can you meet me there? I am going to buy you a meal because I need to talk to you. And uh, when time was about for him to arrive, I was shaking, I was nervous, and then I saw him approach from around the corner, followed by his wife and her mother, and their five children. Now, I knew I had said I was going to pay for the meal, and everybody took the uh, menu, and I knew that meeting up with my father was going to be emotional, but I didn't realize I would cry as much as when I saw the bill. So obviously, we didn't get to talk. I never got that off my, my, my chest. And uh, we went to the wedding. The wedding happened. We pretended everything was okay. And I couldn't let it go. I had to talk to my father. I had to let him know how much he fucked me up. And I organized when I would ring him and when I would go to Kenya and talk to my father. And I was at work. I was in the middle of work. My phone rang. My sister told me my dad was dead. And this left me on a quest. I wanted to understand my father. What would make someone be the way my father was? I started to research this seriously. And I found out that actually my father was found as a baby suckling on his dead mother. I found out that my father grew up in the streets of Nairobi. He was an orphan. I found out that my father had the most gruesome, hideous life. When I was researching this, I also discovered that uh, during the uh, end of the British reign in Kenya, you guys went psycho on us. The uh, British decided to arrest 1.5 million Kikuyu, which is my tribe, and they put them in concentration camps. 
My mother was in a concentration camp and all the men were in detention camps and all the children were in the streets. And that kind of explained to me how fucked up their childhood was in order to fuck me up because it's always a cycle. So currently, I've been digesting this, going over and over my mind. If I was American, I would have therapy. But I am not, because in Africa we don't do therapy, usually. Usually your mother slaps you and you're okay. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that I'm ready yet to get slapped by my mother. And uh, I have decided to, uh, to write a show called The Last Dance with My Father. So hopefully when it's done, you can come and see the whole show. Thank you very much. That was Njambi. The next story is by Amal. And just to say, Amal mentions the word CBT a few times. That stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Now you know. Here's the story. Um, hi, everyone. Okay, um, basically, um, I'm of Somali origin, if you can't tell. Just thought I'd, in case people are wondering. But I was born here. Um, so I'm going to start off my story with when I was in the middle of a CBT session in around 2010. So at this point, I was around 18 years old. I bet you're wondering why were you in a CBT session. So basically, I got diagnosed with depression around a year before that. Um, so I was in the session and my therapist, who's like, yeah, basically my therapist uses the word chap. And I'm just like, this <laughs> is super serious. So basically, I, I, like no one that I know uses that word. It was a very like, kind of like a white word to use. So there was this woman, she's like white middle class, like in her late 20s, early 30s. And I just thought this woman is like so different to me. She doesn't get me. Like, how is this going to work? And I just felt like, yeah, I just felt like she was like from a completely different world to me. And, you know, I still kept turning up to the sessions because I liked getting things off my chest. But, you know, CBT is about changing your thinking. And I wasn't changing my thinking. I was literally just offloading to her every session. But anyway, anyway, yeah, she was really different from me. And um, I just thought I'd share that. And then um, basically a few years after that, um, I went to my GP because I was having problems um, with my relationship. So yes, I'm Muslim. I shouldn't have been in a relationship, but I was. Um, so I was with a guy and I was just acting completely nutty. So I was doing things like I was calling and texting him like a hundred times. I mean, not a hundred, a thousand times, like literally. And this was because I had like a serious fear of abandonment and every little thing he did triggered this fear. So it'd be like, he wouldn't call me. The first thing that I'm going to think is not he's busy, but it's he's left me. And then because the stakes are so high, I get all crazy. So, so it's like, I literally couldn't live without him. When people say I can't live without you, they don't mean it literally. But I was like, it was literal. Like I couldn't live without him. So it kept triggering this fear of abandonment. And then I do all these crazy things and... I went to the GP, she referred me to mental health services and they're like, you've got borderline personality disorder or emotionally unstable personality disorder. I just became more and more unwell as the relationship progressed and then um, things like got sort of really bad in the summer of 2014. So I was in hospital, this is mental hospital or psychiatric hospital, whatever you want to call it. I was in hospital like twice in one month. This is like Park Royal Centre for Mental Health, which is in northwest London. And I was basically there because I was impulsive and suicidal and that's not a good combination I was in hospital twice, but it didn't do anything for me because 
I, there wasn't any support when I came out. So I just became unwell again. And I started getting into contact with the police. And that's when things like really changed for me because like I'm like a really law-abiding citizen and I just never imagined that I'd be in contact with the police unless I was a victim, of course. And so I started getting in contact with the police because of like section 136 and things like that. So one particular occasion, what I was doing was I was lying in the middle of the road and um, I did that a few times. Like I actually, like I became well known for it in the area. And I guess you're wondering, why were you doing this? So basically my head was a mess. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I was in so much emotional pain that I just thought, you know, lying in the middle of the road is a good way to show it. And obviously at the time I was aware that it was dangerous. So it was like, if it hits me, I don't care. Like, I don't care what happens. So anyway, I kept doing it. And then like one time I did it and then, you know, there was a whole commotion and whatnot because I was stopping traffic and um, the passerby was like to the policeman, uh, what's happening here? And then he was like, oh, she always does this. Like literally. <laughs> anyway, so um, at the end I ended up getting arrested. And this was like a big shock to the system. There's me like in a police station wearing a police shirt and plimsolls and whatnot. And like being the law-abiding citizen that I am, I thought, shit, like this is really bad. Like I need to fix up. And yeah, so that was a big like turning point for me. Um, and my ex basically broke up with me, but it was so bad that he didn't even broke up with me to my face. Um, it just He just disappeared for months and I just assumed, you know, it's over. So basically right now I'm doing okay. I'm like literally drugged up. I'm on like lamotrigines, fluoxetine and catiapine and um, I'm getting MBT which is mentalization based therapy which is one of the therapies recommended for borderline personality disorder um, I work part-time I'm more religious and that's helped me what else my family because they're Somali they don't really get mental health but um, they're still there which is good um, so that's it <laughs> yeah. thanks to Amal for sharing her story Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Our last storyteller today is Jabir. And there is just a little trigger warning. The rest of this podcast does concern itself with suicide. 
So I'm 12 years old. My father just passed away. I was in the bathroom. I looked up at myself in the mirror and I just thought, I hate you. I hate everything about you. And at that very moment, the thought of going to school filled me with dread. I thought, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to a place where I'll be bullied for being, for being gay and I'll be punched repeatedly because they wanted to see if puffs feel pain. Um, and I wasn't gay anyway. I convinced myself that I wasn't anyway. So that made it in a way a little bit worse. And after that point, that day, I, did, I really didn't want to go to school. So when my mum did whisk me off to school, or was about to, I just proclaimed, I don't want to live anymore, I want to die. And that was the start of my journey through uh, suicidal thoughts and depression for a lot of my life. And as I was growing up, uh, I immersed myself in studying. I bumbled my way through life trying to find my kind of identity I wanted to be a software engineer when I grew up, so I thought, well, at least I'm good at computing, at least I'm good at something. So fast forward to 2014, I had the day from hell at work and I just had a breakup. So I was pretty much broken, I was at breaking point. And I decided at that very moment that I just wanted to end it all. I thought, this is it, this is my time to go. So I planned everything out, and that Sunday, 10 in the morning, I got up, I was lying in bed, and I just spent a couple of hours just pondering when I was actually going to get out and do this. So I pondered, and I thought, well, I'll talk to a friend of mine, you know, a good friend of mine, I thought I'll, I'll message him. Then I thought, actually, a couple of days ago, I told him to fuck off. <laughs> Because he gave me that advice that a lot of people give you when you're in that kind of place. Just think positive and everything will be fine. And obviously it wasn't. So off I went. I went out on a long drive. Took a long drive. Felt like I was in autopilot. Didn't really know what I was doing. Went to the beach. Uh, went to the coast and parked my car up. I passed um, a Samaritan sign actually. There was a phone booth with a Samaritan sign, and I thought, I looked at it and I read what was on it, and I thought, no, they won't want to talk to me. I'm, there's no point. There's no point. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So I walked, I walked towards the edge, and I came across a barrier. And for someone of my height, it was quite easy to jump over. So I just did that, jumped over, walked all the way right to the edge, and it was a very sunny day. It was a beautiful, warm, sunny day, actually, and I could feel the breeze. The breeze was quite refreshing, and I could feel the sea. I could see the seagulls descending into the distance, down towards the lighthouse that I was looking down upon. And I just thought, "Well, this is this is where it's going to all end." And I looked down, and I just kind of geed myself up to jump over the edge. And I must have been about half an hour. Then I heard a voice behind me say, are you all right? And I just said, yeah, I'm fine. It was my automatic response. A couple of minutes later, 
I heard another voice, quite an assertive voice, just saying, please step away from the edge. I just want to talk. And for a moment, the spell was broken. I thought, well, if someone's actually quite concerned about me, maybe there is something to life. Maybe I can find something to, to hold on to. So I walked away from the edge slowly. And I looked up and I saw a man in a chaplaincy uniform, red uniform with white writing on it. And he just said to me, you don't look all right. Um, I just want to talk to you. So I did. I did talk to him and I went off with him. And um, that was the beginning of my recovery, really. Um, and through my recovery, I had um, counselling from mind, which helped me a lot. And I started to get more comfortable with myself and within my, my own skin. But there was one thing that I hadn't addressed at all. It's the fact that I've been attracted to guys for most of my life. So I hadn't addressed that. And I thought, well, now's the time. I thought I'd come out. So I came out to my friends, came out to my aunt. But the thought of coming out to my mother just completely overwhelmed me. Because I thought about being ostracized. I thought about that very moment back when I was 12 years old. And I thought I'd be ostracized for the rest of my life. If this is what being gay is like, it's about being bullied. And I knew my family's point of view about, about um, homosexuality. But anyway, I did write the letter. I wrote a letter. I thought, well, that's, at least I can get it down on paper. And I read through this letter again and again. I read through it so many times and picked it to pieces. I thought, um, I could almost, mem I almost memorized it. I knew that, that letter so well, inside out. And... I kind of picked out different bits. I thought, oh, this is where my mother's going to walk away in tears. And this is where she's going to, dis this is a bit where she's going to disown me. And I did, I did. Uh, one day in May, I was in the living room and I just sat down with her and I just said, look, I have something to tell you. I started to read the letter out very slowly, very calmly. And by the end, she burst into tears and walked out the room. I was quite calm about this because I was expecting this kind of response. So I went up to my room and I felt quite uncomfortable for the next couple of days. So I just decided that I'd stay at my friend's house. So I stayed there for a couple of days. And upon my return, I was approached by my mother with the most amusing question, actually. She said, oh, well, now that you're out as a gay man, <laughs> now that you're out as a gay man, are you going to be dressing like David Thomas, the, <laughs> the only gay in the village? <laughs> I was quite taken aback by this because of all the questions she could have asked, um, I just replied, no, I'm still your son. I'm still exactly the same person. I'm going to dress as well or as badly as I did before. And I'm going to be as camp as I was before, but probably not try and kid myself into thinking that I'm... Uh, manly or whatever that means um and in the end she turned out to become my greatest supporter and well i still experience you know different things that that probably a lot of gay men experience like for example you're attracted to a minority of people so 90 percent of the people you're attracted to are straight and then if you fall for one of them that's really a mind fuck i'll tell you that <laughs> But fast forward to today, I look at myself, and that's, well, in a different bathroom, still, look at myself in the mirror, and I think to myself, 
I don't love you yet, but I don't hate you either. Thanks to Jabir, Amal and Enjambi. If you've been infected by any of the subjects raised in this podcast, there are always people that can help. Please visit mind.org.uk for information or for help right now. On the 26th of November, Spark celebrates eight glorious years. Join us for fun and festivities at the Exmouth Market Theatre. Please head to stories.co.uk. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.